Grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's a joy to be here. Um, I'm actually, I think it's the first time that I'm tackling inside the, the first epistle of the Apostle John. And I would like to invite you to open 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter two verse fifteen. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Father, as we come into your word this morning, give us the insight. Reveal to us in the pages of Scripture your will, O Lord. May we abide in your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So do not love the world or the things in the world. I mean, as a church, and I've said this before, our conversation is different, right? From the conversation outside of church. As Christians, our conversation is different. Because our, the lenses we use to look at events and to look at everything that's happening in the world is different. We as Christians, we have a, a biblical view of things. We have a, a Christian worldview of things. I don't know if you noticed this past maybe year, a few months, even in secular media, you've, you've listened a lot about worldview. This, world, this, this, this word has come in a lot. And this is very interesting, because every time, at least, even like my son and I are talking about the, 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 school, the schools, uh, the, the agenda, and, and the social media, and all of that, we come to this conclusion, it's all about your worldview. I mean, he's, he, he's, he, was, he got a hold of the Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, and he was like, Reading, reading, and he was excited because he would come and, and talk to me about those stories, and, and, and we could have conversation about those stories. And, and he was like, oh, I, I remember you said this. I remember you told this part of the story. And, and then he, he kind of grew cold with the book after, I don't know, chapter, what is it, eight? And then on our discussion, I was like, aren't you going to finish that book? Aren't you going to read the book? And the book that he got has both parts, has the Christian's journey and Christiana's journey. And it was like, what is that book going to do? I mean, how is that book going to change my life at all? He said, that book is going to change your life. Any other book is going to change your life. Because it's teaching you a way to think about things. It's teaching you a way to see things. And the way you see things, you're going to act according to how you see things. If something changes how you see, something changes your worldview, how you see the world and the events, it changes what you believe about it, it changes how you're going to... Well, in reality, we all act in what we believe. We all do. I said the other day, even if we don't pray enough, it's because we don't believe enough in the power of prayer. So we all act in our, in our belief. And these times that we're living in, our worldview as Christians, it's being challenged. Like Pastor Tiago was saying this morning, the, the Christian view is being dismissed from conversations everywhere. It's old, it's antiquated, it's, it's, it's outdated. So as our worldview is being challenged by the world, do we also feel, feel that our worldview, the way we see things, is being challenged? 
Because until long ago, we knew what we believed. We kind of knew what we believed. And, and the way we kind of knew what we believed, we knew how to act. But do we still? Because things are changing very quickly. You watch the news today, you watch the news a week from now, it's like things are progressing quickly. Do we still know how to function? Because my son, uh, his question uh, two days ago, or yesterday, or, two day, or the other day, this, this couple uh, past days, he says, well, if the school tells me to use different pronouns, what do I do? That's a valid question. What do we do? What do we do with the face-to-face -face everything that's coming at us? Well, my goal this morning is to show you that everything that's going on, it's not about you, your person, per se. It's not, it's not about us as, as, like, it's about me. No, no. I'm going to show you that everything that's going on, that we have seen the, the, the secular agenda moving towards to, it's against, very much so, against the lordship of Jesus Christ and their rebellion against them. So as Pastor Tiago says, the, the, the letters of John, is about, he's, he starts with good doctrine. So he starts with orthodoxy because he's going to move on to what? Orthopraxy, which is if you have a good doctrine, if you have a good teaching, you're going to have a good action. You're going to practice it good. So you need to lay some foundations there so your behavior and your action are according to that. So John opens this letter in chapter 1 talking about the word of life. And he says this. It's on verse 1 if you want to follow. That which was from the beginning, the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which was from the beginning. What was from the beginning? I mean, he's going he's gonna to open up to us, but I want to stop right here and just think, what, what, what was from the beginning? Because everything that we look in, everything that we're seeing, all seems very new. So what is John talking about? Well, in the Gospel of John, he opens the Gospel of John saying, in the beginning was the Word. Which was from the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Remember the science is real conversation? In him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In the beginning was the Logos, the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. In verse 14 of chapter 1 of John, he's going he's to claim, And the Word became flesh. Just so it's, it's not something that we can speculate on. No, no. What I'm talking about there, that Word that was, that was in the beginning, was, was God, it was with God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as the only Son of the Father. Not one of the sons of the Father. The only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. So look, look at these words of John. Which was from the beginning. Which we have heard. Which we have seen with our eyes. So, we, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. This is the, he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And it's interesting how he says, yes, there is a personal experience with God. 
He's saying, I heard, I seen with my own eyes, I have looked upon, I touched him with my hands. He could have it here. I put my ear on his bosom, bosom, in his chest. He experienced, yes, it's given to us to experience. Good teaching, good theology, good doctrine. The, once we know who he is, we experience who he is. And when he's revealed and made manifest to us, he becomes so real enough that it's almost like we can touch him with our hands. Almost palpable. So this is nothing new. It's from the beginning. The argument is it's from the beginning. It's nothing new. It's not a new religion. It's not a new, a new ideology. It has always been from the beginning. In fact, all that exists, exists because of him. Because all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, yes, it was hidden, but he is now made manifest to us. No one had ever seen God until the day God shone in the face of Jesus Christ. The fullness of the Godhead, the fullness of divinity was in the very person of Jesus Christ. That's why we always say, we say from this pulpit, Pastor Tiago said this today. It, the, the concept of God is, is very well accepted by 93% of the whole world. That's a lot of people. There are, there are about 8 billion people in the world. 93% of them are okay with some concept of God. Well, I'm going to talk about this a little bit more. But... He is in the, in the beginning because everything begins in him. And I wanted to make this affirmation because when we know that, we know that everything belongs to him and everything owes itself to him. Even the breath we breathe belongs to him. And if you're not praising and glorify him for that, you're actually a thief. You're stealing his air. So, and, and then John continues. He talks about how we should walk. Those who are in fellowship with him has fellowship with one another and their sin is cleansed by the blood of Christ. So when he said how we should walk, how is it that we should walk? Well, he, he makes it plain. We should walk as Jesus walked. He wasn't out to set examples. Well, this is just an example. Maybe we should. No, no. The Apostle Paul says, be imitators of Christ. And John then writes, gives the reasons of why he's writing this to us, right? And I, I can't wait to see Pastor Tiago unpack this for us at some time, because he said he would. Because our sins are forgiven, because we know him who is from the beginning, because we have overcome the evil one, because we know the Father, because we are strong, and the Word of God abides in us. That's why he's writing this. He said, I'm writing to you because this is it. And as we arrive now at the text this morning, he begins, do not love the world or the things in the world. What world are we not to love? And even, even looking at my notes in the back, I was thinking, hmm, we need to be careful with this for a moment. Because we as, as, as church people, we look at world or do not love the world, we think is, well, I don't go to clubs. I don't, I don't know, drink, smoke. Some of you don't drink, smoke, or do things that, are, you know, we don't party. We, we have a limited amount of fun. If you have too much fun, yeah, you might be sin somewhere. So, so we look at world at things that the world do in regards to some behaviors that don't look too Christian-y. Be careful with that, and, and I, I really want you to pay attention to this. 
So what world are we not to love? Because didn't God so love the world that he gave his only begotten son? So God loved the world enough to give his son, but I shouldn't love the world? So what does world he means? So although some people don't like it, especially when we're having theology fights against Calvinists and Armenians and we all throw in the, this wor wor world definitions on each other. They don't like this, the other side. But world means different things in different contexts. You just have to. And the world here is not talking about people, individuals, human beings of the world. But the system, the, 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 it, its principles, its values, and how everything operates. We are to love people, are we not? The parable of the Good Samaritan, can we pick and choose who we're going to love? We are to love them, but we are not to love the ways that they scheme to reject God. We're not to love the system that they use to rebel against Him. We're not to support Him. We're not to give any... any it, this is the thing. We all, have, we all know someone who's homosexual. And the homosexuality in our society is being so shoved in our throats in a way that we, 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 we desensitize about it. So it's, yes, it's sin, but we can deal with it. And if you listen to Vody Bauckham enough, I'm, I'm going to say right there because he's the one that I heard this from. He said, if you listen to a word, to a preaching about homosexuality, the first 50 minutes in the majority of times, the first 50 minutes is an, an apology of why I'm talking about homosexuality. And it usually goes like, I have friends who are homosexuals. I love the homosexuals. I'm not, here. I'm not trying to offend the homosexuals. And he makes a comparison that makes us think about these things. So what, what if I come up here and say, well, I'm going to preach about wife beaters. But I'm, I don't want to offend no wife beater. I love wife, I love wife beaters. I, I have friends who beat their wives. So I don't want to offend. The whole culture is messing up with our worldview so much. It's desensitizing us to the sin, to the rebellion. Because, hey, they're good people. Hey, come on, I'm, I'm going to be a hypocrite. I know some good people who are homosexual. I know some people that I would trade some church people for them. The world is under the power and control of the evil one. When you're watching the news, when you're looking at a government operating outside of God's boundaries, it's under the power and the control of the evil one. I don't have to stress this too much because John is going to talk to us about this in chapter 5. I know who's going to get there. But the system is operated by people. What do we do then? If I'm not to hate people, but I'm to hate the system, I should love the people, but the people, the system is operated by the people. What do I do then? What well, we are to hate the practice of sin, not the people. And I'm not giving it to you that God loves the sinner and hates the sin. That's not what I'm saying. Although that's what we do, not God. When we see people in utter rebellion against the Creator, we don't hate them, but we definitely hate what they do. Why am I, say why am I saying that? Because eventually we're going to get into this conversation of God hates people or not, because I know the small group came up this conversation, and I'm glad to get into it. But we are not the ones to hate. 
people. Why? Because they have not sinned against our holiness. Because we are not holy in and of ourselves. The one who can hate people is the one whose commands have been disobeyed since the garden. Whose supremacy and lordship have, have been offended when men fixed his heart on the desire to be God. When they began to build and invest in infrastructure, I don't know if you listen enough to my language, I'm sure you heard this this week, with the intent to make a name from themselves. In any culture, infrastructure, when they start building stuff, it reflects what they believe. The one whose name has been blasphemed, whose trust was betrayed, whose face was buffeted and spit on, whose hand and his and feet were pierced by being hung on the cross for sins he didn't commit. He's the one who can hate, not us. So what is John calling us to do? When he says, do not love the world or things that are in the world. And I want to be careful with calling us to do, because remember, this is not a suggestion. The Bible doesn't bring suggestions. It brings commands. So what John wrote is Holy Scripture. This letter that he wrote is Holy Scripture. This was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So, I'll rephrase when it says John's calling us. John commands us to not love the world or the things that are in the world. It's a command. And you listen to the news. I'm sure some of you do. I am appalled at the magnitude of the nonsense. And I'm not trying to belittle them. I... It's beyond my own understanding. And yet, apart from biblical truth, it makes perfect sense. If all of a sudden I'm not a he, I'm a she, or all of a sudden, well, I'm not a she either, it sounds very much nonsense. But apart from biblical, biblical truth, Oh, it makes perfect sense. He said, no, no, it doesn't. Because I know a lot of people who are not Christians, and they, they're going really against this. I'll agree with you. It's, I, I know a lot of people who are not Christians are, are fighting these things. But without the Word of God, who sets the standards? I mean, if you're not a Christian and you're fighting these things, what are the standards? Who was it? Uh, Richard Dawkins? The atheist. One of the, the most famous American atheists. He lost uh, one of his prizes that he got from the, some association to the L LGBT community in the 80s. He just lost it because of some comments he made. Because he was saying what, what's wrong and what's not wrong. What are you getting your standards from? If the Word of God, if God is not the standards, if, we, if, if we're just a bunch of amoebas that became what we are, who cares? Who cares if I want to be a she from now on? Who cares if I want to be none from now on? Who cares if I can pick and choose what time of the day, which one I want to be? If there are no standards. Without abiding in the scriptures, anything is up for grabs. Because why not? If there's no accountability to the one who is from the beginning, I can do whatever the hell I want. And I don't mean hell as a cuss word. I mean... If I don't fear the fact that I will be called one day 
to give an account for my actions before holy God, I can be as hellish as I want to be. I can be as demonic as I want to be. I can be as evil and rebellious as I can possibly be. It is my life, and I do whatever. Now I don't say the heck I want. We Christians, we can't redeem cuss words and make it into our own cuss words. But it's true. If God is not the standard, now, is it not the temptation in the Garden of Eden? You will be like God. I remember mentioning not long ago, like, I think it was, uh, I can't remember if it was in the, in the Bible study, or when they said, God said, because the serpent said, you will be like God if you do this. That's, that's what God is afraid of, because you're going to be just like Him. And we tend to say, well, wasn't they already like God? What kind of temptation is that? Yeah, but God then says, now they are one like us. So there's something there that maybe wasn't there before. What is it? Now I want to call my own shots. Now I want to run my own life. Now I'm going to be the God of my life and I'm going to be the God of those who I can hold under me. That's a temptation. They don't just want to remove God to remove God. They want to be one. Not even like the Mormons. But saints, remember that our conversation is different. The conversation of the elect is different. We are in the world, but we are not from the world. The Apostle Peter, in 1 Peter on, on chapter 2, on verse 1, if you want to follow, I'm going to read through 10 verses right now. He says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. I have a, what is she now? The 30th, she's 17 days. I have a 17-day-old baby at home. I know what is a newborn infant longing for milk. I do. Najwa had some pain, what was it, Saturday? Friday. She had some pain Friday night, Friday afternoon. She called me at work, so I had to run to see her. And she had to go into the hospital. Like, so we went into the urgent care first because they are easier to deal with. But the hospital, you can't get in. Only if you're sick, you get in. Nobody come, goes in with you. What am I going to do with this small baby? Well, I, I, God forgive me for saying this. Because I, I, this has got to be blasphemy. But I believe men should give milk. I believe men should be able to nurse. I do. Because it's so frustrating. When the baby's crying, the mother's not there. What do you do? Hey, if we give milk, done. Because that, that's how it happened. I'm saying it's probably a blessing because God ordered things in a way that he wanted to order. I'm thinking there's a better way. But then she went in. I was in the waiting room a little bit with her. Then I said that I had to go to the car, blah, blah, blah. So she, she got in. I was in the car. And the baby started crying. So I started moving. So we drove for like 40, 45 minutes. I don't know. Pastor Tiago called me and said, no, I can't answer the phone because I have music in the car. I can't be talking on the phone. My brother called me and said, no, I, I can't answer the phone. I, I need the music to be in the car. You know, like this relaxing classical music and blasting in the car. And sometimes she would sleep and then she would cry again. And there was one moment that she started crying and she wouldn't stop. She wouldn't stop crying for nothing. So I sent Najma a message. I'm coming in. She says, yes, come in, come in. 
So I walked into the, the, the ER and I, I see this nurse near the door, says, the mom of this baby is in there, she needs to nurse. She was like, oh, follow me. So we, we got in there, Najwa took the baby and done. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. How much are we really longing for this milk? that by it you may grow up into salvation. This is how bad you need to want it, as if your life depends on it. Know why? Because your life depends on it. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by man, is he not? But in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever, whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. Oh, Jesus came to bring peace, right? He's, he's the good master who gave us good example. Well, so the honor is not for you who believe, but those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. Well, if he, if he was put here to be a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, it's not too peaceful. They stumble because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race. Remember our conversation. Whose conversation is different from the world? You who are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's interesting, he didn't say that you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, so you can go to church, listen to a sermon, praise God, and go home. That you may proclaim his excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Because once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You know, if you just read Scripture, if, if the preacher just reads Scripture like knows how to do this, they don't have to write a sermon. They can just read. It, it does preach itself. And now, but now we are experiencing a cultural shift. I don't know if you can feel this. I don't know if, if you're listening close to this. Cultural Marxism. Cultural hegemony. Intersectionality. Social justice. Gender pronoun wars. Abortion rights. Because our current president said it's, 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 it's ridiculous that we have limits on abortion. To a woman, you should be able to have the right to abort for whatever reason you want. The whole construct of human language will have to be modified to make all of this fit into the culture that we're going into. Because if I tell you that I saw them outside, well, them now could be just someone who doesn't identify with he or she, or could be a bunch of people. So we're going to have to make some provisions so I can tell you who did I see. What's going to happen to call 911? You can't assume. You can be sued if you assume the wrong way. The whole language. Now, there's a, there's a sign some people use in the front yards that reads, 
this. Maybe you've seen it because a lot of people, I think you can get the sites for free. I hope you won't, but some people can. It says this. It, it, it's colorful, of course. It has, uh, it has, it's colorful. We call it rainbow, but it's not the same colors as the rainbow, but we call it rainbow. It says, in this house we believe. Black lives matter. Love is love. No human being is illegal. Feminism is for everyone. Science is real. Be kind to all. It's going to be even this very sign, or it's going to be some variations of, instead of be kind to all, we will say, uh, kindness is everything. Instead of saying, feminism is for everyone, we'll say, women's rights is everyone's rights. You know, there will be some variations of that. And I could talk about each one of this and show how each one of this is a rebellion against the king of the universe and his kingdom, but I won't. <laughs> so it's okay. And not because I don't want to. I'd love to talk about this, but I don't have time. But I want to mention one. Love is love. And I want to mention this because it's, we're talking about how our language is going to be changed, and it's already changing. We, this morning we're talking about how we define how, what we believe and the implications of our affirmations. And I know this particular love is love is very connected to homosexuality. Because for them, love is love. You can love whoever you want to love. So, anyway, John says, love not the world. What is love? Well, if we come up to a quick definition of love, if I would ask here anybody what love is, Something very quick could come out as God is love. Because He is love. I'm not saying love is God. God is love. You put it in the wrong way, you're going to have some, some heresy going somewhere. The Bible doesn't say that. So, those two words, God is love, God and love, are probably the most misused, the misunderstood words. In any language. Why? Like I said, about 93% of the world is okay with some kind of a concept of God. So if there are about 8 billion people in the world, about 7 billion people in the world would have a problem. Although they're okay with the concept of God, they would have a problem with a biblical definition of who God is. It's not in my notes. I'm not going to go there, but you can say God all day. You can, you can say the Pledge of Allegiance. You can say one nation under God. You can do all of that as long as you don't mention Jesus Christ. Because if you mention Jesus Christ, now you're connecting this God to the God of the Bible, and, and then you're gonna, we have issues. Then we have problems. Why am I saying this? Because John tells us not to love the world, and the main reason for that is because the world hates God. I am okay with the concept of God as a human being. I could be Hindi, Hindu and I would be okay with this. And I am okay with this concept of God since it is a God of my own creation. If it's a God of my own choosing. And remember I said in the beginning that I would make a case that what's going on is not about us, and it's about the, 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 the rebellion against the lordship of Christ? The world wants a God who will love them regardless of who they are and what they do. Even religions, larger, bigger-sized religions, or the Christian religion. They, I know in Brazil, and I think it's happening here too, the, the transgendered pastors. Um, we, we, we were having a problem with the women pastors. Now they have transgender pastors. Or in, I think even the Episcopal Church, they, they have homosexuals as, as ministers. And it's one of those things. Why do you have a problem with the women pastors? You open one door, you don't know what this is going to stop. The Lutheran Church is 
uh, ordaining women. Luther is roving his grave. Where is this going to stop? What's next? A transgender pastor, minister, priest? So they want a God that will love them. So my God is a God of love and will never punish anyone for being happy as they choose because it's all about our happiness. If you're happy, you're not harming anyone. And my God will never punish. He loves everyone. And, and this is true, okay, now. Whenever I listen to the, the, this argument, whenever somebody says this, I agree with them because it, that is true. When they say, my God loves me and he will never punish me for trying to be happy, for pursuing my happiness as my right as a human being, it's in the independent, independence of the Declaration of Independence. No, in the, it is. Whatever, you, got, you know. Why do I agree with them? I agree with them because the God that they said that they loves them, just as they are, doing whatever they want to do, will never punish them and love them. I believe that is because this God doesn't exist. It's a figment of their imagination. If you believe in a God that just loves you how you are, just don't care what you do, will never punish you, will never send you to hell, it's true because this God doesn't exist. Because the God of the Bible, yes, He cares about who you are and what you do. Yes, He will punish sinners one day and cast them in hell. And goes there all the argument about God loves the sinner and hates the sin. Well, God's not throwing sin in hell. He's throwing the sinner. I got it. But, but now, if you're comfortable of going to hell, saying, well, I'm going to hell, but God loves me, you, you miss the train somewhere. And people are willing to buy into this lie just so they can feel good about themselves. And when we, as people who not, don't love the world and the things in the world, don't do anything about it, that's damning for them. We're not loving them. Because we're afraid that we're going to offend some people. We're more afraid that we're going to offend them than they are offending God. And one day they're going to be punished for that. And, and we are totally okay with that because we don't want to offend them. I don't know if you could imagine the line going to heaven and that line going to hell and somebody screaming at you saying, why didn't you tell me? And he's going to say, oh, I was afraid to offend you. I loved you. I, I, I didn't want you to be mad at me. We don't define who God is. We don't define what love is. Because if I get to define God or love one way, and you get to define God and love another way, well, it just lost its definition. It's just like truth, Oprah. Well, it's my truth. You have your truth, I have my truth, he has his truth. Well, whose truth is truth then? Because if my truth collides with your truth, one of those truths is not true. When I say it, it, it baffles me, I, I can't understand how people can come up with these things. I mean, come on, I'm, I'm saying Oprah because that's, that's her question. Like, she, she's the, the advocate of my truth, your truth. But where does that make sense? Maybe she should believe that my truth is her bacon cow belongs to me. I don't think that's going to be true. Truth is the very person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So John continues, and I'll finish with this. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I don't know how you read this, 
I don't think that when it says the love of the Father is not in him, it's like a touchy feeling about something. You can look at this in two ways. Or the saving love of God is not in you, which means his wrath is upon you because you are a son of disobedience and he's about to cast you in outer, outer darkness. Because, yes, we like John 3.16. Because God so loved the world. How, how can you say that the whole world is not loved about, by God? He says right there, he did love the world. Yes, 20 verses later, John 3.36 says that his wrath remains upon those sons of disobedience. Or you don't love the Father. The love of the Father is not in you. Or you don't love him. In which case, you don't have an inheritance in God because his rewards are for those who love him. So if anyone loves the world, the values, the principles, the system, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. We did, this verse 16 is a message in, himself, in itself that we could break and show Adam and Eve and the, and the temptation on the garden and how she saw the, how, how she, she wanted the tree and she saw the tree and the tree was good for food and good to give knowledge, all the three things. We could go to Matthew 4 and, and look at Jesus' temptation when the devil came to tempt him and the same three things. I conclude that any sin that you can think of, you're going to extract from these three things. It's either a desire of your flesh, because you want to be your own God, a desire of the eyes, because this is what you see, and it looks good into your eyes, it makes sense to you, or it's the pride of life, where it's all about me and my happiness. And why should we do that? How should we live in a world? Romans 12, verse 1 and 2 says this, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I appeal. Some, some translations say that I beg, I urge. You, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, not by your dedication, not by your Bible reading, not how much you can pray, how, how big is your faith, but by the mercies of God. We can do this because God is merciful to us. Because we once we were dead in our sins, but God, in His rich mercy, brought us alive. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You know, like that He used bodies, He used the whole thing. It's not about my heart. Holy and acceptable to God. Not in the way I want to be acceptable, the way God wants me to be acceptable. Which is your spiritual worship. Some translations will come to your rationale. Like you know what you're doing. The worship that is rational. Reason. Reason worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not and when I said in the beginning, be careful when, when, when John says, do not love the world. It's not about drinking and partying and smoking. Although those things, yes, it plays, it plays into it too. But it's not what he's talking about. He's talking about do not be conformed with the principles and the values that they, be, they are being presented to you. You, you, you put, turn on the TV, the radio, whatever. You listen to the news. You listen to government policies. Look at those things through the, through the lenses of the Bible, through the lenses of the Word of God. We as Christians, we see things differently because God had, has opened our eyes to be able to see them differently. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect and complete in its fullness. 
Why is it so important to discern the will of God? Because I'm a he and some of you are she. And we're going to be that until we die. How do we know that's the will of God? Because I have renewed my mind with the waters of the word. This is, I promise, is the last verse. So it's, I, I, I need to read the 17. Because why is it so important to discern the will of God? Because John says, and the world is passing away along with its desires. It's passing away. That will be one day that all of this is going to be renewed. It's going to be made new. Because this one, this world and its desires and now its schemes and now its values and now its rebellion are passing away. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And there's one place where the will of God is plain, plainly revealed and documented. It's in the pages of Scripture. Amen. Pray with me. Father, we know that your word is true. Because the word has come into us. He became flesh. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son of the father. Full of grace and truth. And he is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. And we come to him so we can come to God. Because he has reconciled us. He has opened a way with his blood so we can come into the, the presence of God. Blameless, spotless. Because of him, we can be acceptable to God. Not because of our own doings, not because of our own dedication or our own faith. But the faith that we have to put in you is given by you. And for this, we thank you that you have opened our ears to listen to your voice. You have opened our eyes to see you and to see through you the lenses that you have given us to read culture, to read events, to read history through the scriptures as the redemptive plan of God. Keep us firm on the rock. Keep us our feet firm on you and keep our eyes fixed in the author and finish of our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I love you.